Open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 3, and if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can uh, follow along in one of the blue church Bibles on the, on the floor near you, and you can find Hebrews 3 on page 1002, or you're welcome to simply listen, but let me ask you to stand with me as we give our attention to God's Word. Let's read Hebrews chapter 3 together. It says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has, uh, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that, that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I sworn my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you meet us now as we give our attention to your word. God, would your uh, spirit be amongst us? Would you enlarge our uh, hearts? Would you give us imagination? Uh, God, would you help us to hear uh, not my words, but the words of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Well, several years ago, I was at a uh, conference. This is what pastors do when we're not preaching. We go to conferences and listen to other people preach. And I was at this conference, and I was going into one of the main sessions, and I happened to be going in and sitting down next to my the guy who was my boss at the time. His name was Keith. And um, as we're going into this session, I commented to Keith that... Um, the, the guy who was going to be speaking, I had never heard him, him speak before. And Keith said, well, you better, uh, you better strap in because 
you are about to experience the velvet hand grenade. <laughs> and that phrase has just stuck in my mind ever since, the velvet hand grenade. Uh, I mean, you kind of understand immediately what he means, right? You're going to be listening to the speaker and you're going to feel cared for and loved and, and understood. And um, it's going to be like you're getting a hug. And then all of a sudden he's going to say something and without you even noticing it, it's like an explosion is going to go off and it's going to hurt. <laughs> uh, it's going to cut. And I was reminded of that phrase, the velvet hand grenade this week as I was studying Hebrews 3 because, uh, well, because that's what it felt like <laughs> reading Hebrews 3. Uh, one of the features of the book of Hebrews is that the author, and I've said this, but we don't know who the author of the book of Hebrews is. Um, but the author of the book of Hebrews who will often hold these two things together. I mean, did you notice he started off by addressing, in chapter 3, addressing the readers of this book, uh, calling them holy brothers or, or brothers and sisters. Um, Adelphoi is, you know, masculine, but means brothers and sisters. Um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a term of endearment, right? That's a term of, of, of affection, of care. Uh, he, he continues to call them, um, this is how he addresses them. He says, you share in a heavenly calling. Uh, you know, he's, he's addressing his audience in a very affectionate way. But then he will point out something about them and by implication us, um, that sort of feels like a, a pitch on the inside of the plate. Um, I gotta use a sports metaphor every once in a while. Uh, he'll just drop these like truth bombs. <laughs> it's like, ow, that hurt a little bit. Or um, he'll, he'll call us to a higher calling than, than the way that we've been operating. Or he'll, he'll warn us against something. Uh, he'll he'll kind of do these two things together. Hebrews 3, I think, is where this kind of velvet hand grenade uh, feels like it, it goes off. And, and I think it's important to just think about that for a minute because that is not the way that we function as a culture. Uh, we've kind of gotten to the place where you see this in the way that we talk or don't talk about politics. We see this in our like, online social media interaction where everything is sort of um, like... You know, tone deaf and one-dimensional, where you're either right or left, black or white, right or wrong, um, and we, we have this attitude that you either love me and therefore affirm everything about me and what I'm doing, or if you're critical of me, it must be because you don't love me or respect me or value me. And um, it's a real tragedy, I think, that we've gotten to that point in our culture because. Um, I think we know this instinctively. I mean, certainly every parent has to know this. Uh, if you've ever been a teacher or a coach in official or unofficial capacity, uh, you know that to correct or to encourage or to, uh, to call somebody to something higher is actually an act of love. Um, you know, I don't send my children to bed, uh, I, you know, when they want to stay up later um, to punish them, right? I do it because I love them. Um, I mean, most of the time. <laughs> um, or, uh, so, my wife has a book coming out on Tuesday. If you don't know that already, um, you are probably not on the internet, or at least not connected to her or 
but uh, you may have heard that, that she has a book coming out. But uh, you should buy it. It's great. I've been reading it. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so where am I going with this? I got distracted for a second. Um, one of the endorsements on her book, it says on the back cover, uh, one of the people who endorsed her book said this, Ashley is the rare sort of writer, imaginative yet concrete, prophetic yet gentle. She only cuts where she can bring healing. And that, that is just the most beautiful statement, isn't it? She only cuts where she brings healing. It's true, I can assure you. <laughs> that, that is the, uh, the velvet hand grenade right there. And that is what Hebrews chapter 3 is doing. Um, the author writes to his audience with deep affection, assuring them God loves you, God is for you. Um, and, then, and then there are these three imperatives in this um, chapter that sort of just jump out at us where uh, he, he said, I love you, I care, you know, I'm affirming you. Boom. <laughs> uh, three imperatives. What, what is an imperative? An imperative is, is a mood. <laughs> it is a verb that is used in such a way as to uh, issue a command. Um, I, I looked this up just to make sure I got it right, and I saw this quote on the internet that says, so it must be true, that says an, an imperative is a, um, it says when reading an imperative sentence, it will always sound like the speaker is bossing someone around. Imperative verbs don't leave room for questions or discussion, even if the sentence has a polite tone. Okay, so you understand what I'm getting at. I love you, but there are some things that you need to listen to. And that's what I want to kind of unpack for us this morning. So these three imperatives, the first one in verse 1, it says, Consider Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Now, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, as we've been looking at the book of Hebrews, or frankly, even if you haven't, that doesn't probably strike you as, whoa, he just lobbed something at me right there. Uh, because in Hebrews 1 and 2, he's been talking, all he's been doing is talking about the, the majesty of Jesus and the, the radiance of his glory and that he is with us in his, in his humanity. Um, but even beyond that, like we're at church, and so of course I'm going to tell you, like, consider Jesus, right? But he's not just saying consider Jesus like somebody might say, if you're at a restaurant, like, I'd like a Coke, and they say, well, would you consider a Pepsi? No, like I want to, um, um, you know, if you want, no big deal, you might want to just think about, consider Jesus. That, that's not what he's saying. Um, what he's saying, the, the word consider here is used in the book of James to talk about the way that you look at your own face. Okay? Consider, ponder, study, like know it in detail. Look intently at Jesus. Meditate on him. What he's describing here is, have, have you ever had the experience, of course you've had this experience, where somebody has said something to you, positive or negative, that just kind of rattles around in your head for a few days. And whatever you're doing, you can't, you can't stop thinking about what, what this person has said to you. Or another way to think about it is, have you ever dri driven somewhere and you get out of the car and you suddenly realize, I have no idea how I got here. You know, I was just kind of on autopilot. I was thinking about something. I don't remember turning, you know, I'm glad I'm alive. Um, that's, that's what this is describing here. Really fix your attention on Jesus. Mull it over. 
And uh, he, he's making this point in comparison to Moses. Did you notice he was talking over and over again about Jesus has more glory than Moses? And, um, you know, if you're like me, the first time reading through this, it's like, okay, I'm sure this Moses thing means something, but I'm not sure what. Okay, I, I've said this, I think, every week, but the context of the book of Hebrews is that the author is writing to a group of people who had a background in Judaism. They, they were raised Jews, uh, and then they put their trust in Jesus and became Christians, and now, you know, under the wear and tear of life and maybe persecution, they're, they're kind of, um, they're, they're tempted to, to turn their back on Jesus and to walk away from Jesus and go back into full-blown Judaism, and Moses is this kind of like iconic, you know, larger than life figure um, it, it, within the world of Judaism. The law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, you know, it was Moses who led uh, God's people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. And the author is saying here, Moses and Jesus are on the same team. Um, if you think you're going to leave Jesus and go back to Moses, like that's going to be a you know, do something better for you. You're, you're, you're misunderstanding what's going on here because Moses and Jesus are on the same team. So that's the kind of argument of this passage. Consider Jesus. But we don't really have that struggle with Moses, do we? And um, I doubt that anybody came in here this morning wondering, I wonder if Jesus is better than Moses. Uh, but, but I think where this connects to us is here. Moses... Um, well, let, let me just say it like this. It's about our identity. And for people who had grown up with the law of Moses and the traditions and the temple and the sacrifice, and, uh, and it was just us and we, we were all kind of ethnically homogenous. And now as Christians, there are Greeks and there are you know, these people who they have customs that we don't understand and we're not meeting in a temple now and we're, we're, we're meeting in, in homes and... Um, and we don't have these traditions and, and laws like, we, like we're used to. Um, we've lost our identity. We've lost our identity. And 2,000 years later, there are names other than Moses, aren't there, that we would look to to, uh, to connect our identity with. Um, very few of us, you know, would identify ourselves with Moses, but what about... Uh, Barack Obama, or Donald Trump, or Rush Limbaugh, or um, Jordan Peterson, or uh, an athlete, you know, whose names, I don't, yesterday my kids were like quizzing my brother-in-law, do you like this soccer player, do you like this soccer player, uh, a sports team, a celebrity, and the problem is not so much appreciating certain people or issues, it's that we place our identity in them, I you know, I don't appreciate certain views. I am a progressive, or I am a conservative. It's who I am. It's my identity. I, um, I don't just watch the Dodgers. I am a Dodger fan. The problem for us is that there are lots of places to put our identity today. Uh, we don't live in like a homo homogenous culture where everybody kind of identifies with the same things. And there are lots of options out there. Not everybody claims the same identities, and that makes our identities insecure. And so what we do is we fight about 
the things that we have placed our identity in and we defend ourselves. It's funny, I have, um, <laughs> ex- I've, I've noticed that you all tend to think I disagree with you on politics. Like, all of you think I disagree with you. Like, the Democrats think I'm a Republican, the Republicans think I'm a Democrat. Uh, I don't know why, I, and I'm not gonna tell you what I am. Um, but it's funny that, like, I, like I'm not even, I, I, it's, I'm not, I wanna kinda say I don't care what, you, I do care what, you, what your political views are. I'm not saying there's a right answer, but mostly what I'm doing is critiquing the way that you hold your views, and sometimes I think that pushback is interpreted as I disagree with you. I can't disagree with everybody, right? Um, we use our identities as weapons to whack people that disagree with us, or as badges of honor um, to make us feel like we're good people. Um, we fight with each other because our identities are insecure. We were watching, I keep talking about the Dodgers, we were watching the Dodger game the other night and they're showing these you know, aerial views of the stadium in Milwaukee where they're playing. And one of my boys said, why are there police, you can see police cars with the flashing lights in the stadium. Why are there police cars there? I'm like, well, somebody's gonna win this game. Somebody's gonna lose this game. And everybody's not just gonna go home peacefully. And so the police are there because We put our identities in this stuff. Some people are gonna fight. In 2018, we have insecure identities that lead us to fight with each other. And if you are a believer, you have to remember that there is a better option. Hebrews is reminding you to consider Jesus. To consider Jesus, find your identity in him. The author is saying here that if you are in Christ, that you are the house that God built Did you notice that metaphor? Uh, You are the house that God is the one who gives you an identity and you are are a part of the house that God lives in. God lives in you, he dwells in you. And because God is the builder of that house, your identity is secure because it is not based on something that you have chosen or done, it is based on what God has built, what God has accomplished. Finding your identity in Christ and who he is And what he's done for you is the only thing, therefore, that will allow you to really relax and hold your um, identity and not feel the need to defend yourself when people are critical of it. So um, finding your identity in Christ is the only thing that will allow you to relax. One one of the things that is um, a challenge if you're a pastor is that Okay, I'm going to put my identity in Christ. <laughs> but what do I do is I, I try to work for Jesus. <laughs> and so it becomes very easy to say, I'm putting my identity in Jesus. And yet very subtly and very uh, slowly, it, 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 I, I slip back into what my worth, my worth, my value, my identity is what I do. And is the church growing? And am I doing a good job? And... and um, and, uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to turn this into my own kind of therapy session, but um, the last couple months have been a challenge. And when people leave and when people are critical of me, um, you know, the one thing that I cannot do is sleep. <laughs> and um, and I, I don't think I've had a good night's sleep in like two months. <laughs> but because I, I wake up, it, you know, I, I can tell myself everything's fine. 
But when, when it's an identity issue, it's a heart issue, I can't sleep. And I wake up in the middle of the night because I'm afraid. And I mull these things over in my head. And the only thing that I've been able to, to do to help is, you know, is to try to work that reality that my identity is in Christ back into my heart. There's a, um, a song by Rich Mullins. I think it's probably from the 80s or 90s. I mean, it's kind of old, older, whatever. Uh, every time I say something's old, somebody gets bent out of shape about what I consider old. Just don't worry about it. It's new, whatever. If you like it, I don't care. This is a great song that resonates with me right now. And uh, he says, uh, <laughs> he says in this song, I wake up in the dark. I wake up at night and I feel the dark. It's so hot inside my soul. I swear there must be blisters on my heart. So hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You have been my king of glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? I just try to sing. I've probably listened to that song like 300 times in the last couple months. I'm trying to just work that truth back into my heart. That is who I am. I am not a pastor. I am a child of God. I'm not saying this as somebody who's got it down, but as somebody who's trying to hold on to that truth. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Find your identity in him. It's the only thing that will allow you to relax. How do you do that? Well, second imperative. Take care. Verse 12 says this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. Now, what does it mean to take care? I think I just think of that like, um, hey, great to see you today. Take care. <laughs> Every time I say that, I'm like, why do I say that? Like, it doesn't even mean anything. Um, do you see what he's saying, though? Um, take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Um, what, what he's saying is be careful lest you deceive yourself. Take care, because um, if you don't take care, you will deceive yourself. Um, who, who is the one that is doing the deceiving? <laughs> this is the thing that we have to understand. It's, it's me. Who is the one who is deceiving me? Who, who do I, who do I, what? I need to take care because I am prone to deceive myself. Uh, you are prone to deceive yourself. Okay, here's the question. If you were being deceived, would you know it? No, right? Uh, a couple of months ago, I got an email from my bank. And uh, I was working at a coffee shop, and I get this email that comes in from my bank that says there's been fraud on your account. And I called the number in the email, and they said, oh, thank you for calling. Uh, let's just verify your information so we're sure we're talking to the right person. What are the last four of your social security number? And I told her, and then I go, oh, shoot. And I hung up, and I drove to the bank. Um, and I'm like, I think I just got conned. And it was legit. But I didn't know if I was being deceived or not. Okay? And um, if you were deceived, would you know it? Well, of course not. The nature of deception is that you don't know that you're being deceived. 
And verse 12 is warning us, don't trust your own heart. And we need to hear that because we trust our hearts, don't we? Um, We need to hear it because we are masters at justifying to ourselves whatever we want to justify. And so we need to take care. We need to pay much closer attention. We need to review ourselves. Um, We need to be critical of ourselves and what we're doing. I mean, think about... Think about some of the things that you can do in your day without being critical of yourself. Um, Here's just a short list. Get up, get dressed, eat food, go to the gym, spend money, go to work, talk to your friends, yell at your kids, on and on. None of those require us to stop and say, if Jesus is alive, what difference does it make? And what I just described is like 95% of our waking hours, right? None of those things require us to take the time to stop and ask, am I being deceived? Um, I mean, think about what do we spend money on? Every one of us, there's a store. And don't pretend, guys, like it's not true for you. There is a store where you can go in and know how much money you have and spend way more money and come out justifying yourself. I can do that at Home Depot like seven days a week. Right? Am I deceiving myself? What would it look like to take care? Well, I think that the first step would simply be learning to live with it as a part of the way I think about myself. That I am a person who is sometimes wrong. Um, like to get that into my, the way that I think about myself. I'm a person who says things that are uh, not true from time to time. (laughs) Um, I'm a person who does things and then justifies them, but if somebody else were to do them, I would call them on it. Um, Just living with that reality that I'm a person who makes mistakes. Um, What would it look like to take care? I think it would look like being very careful about the way we use the words need and have to. Um, you know, I, I would love it if, if uh, for myself and for you, if when you say, I have to do this, or I need to do this, if that just set off alarm bells in your head. Some things we do need to do, but so much of the time we say, well, I have to do this because what we really want is to, we want to do it, but we don't want anybody to ask us about it. Um, it's sort of the, the way we justify doing what we want to do without anybody asking us questions. In order to take care and review myself, I've got to have it as a part of the way that I think about myself that I may be wrong. And if I am wrong, or sorry, if I'm never wrong, you know, why, why kind of give anything a second thought? Why review myself at all? Why take care? But if I'm open to the possibility that I can deceive myself, only then can we actually move to the third imperative that we see in this passage, which is exhort one another. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another. Uh, The word means urge each other, comfort each other, encourage each other. I, I think the word exhort has this very, like, I don't know, confrontational tone to it, um, certainly includes that. 
but it doesn't only include that. What Hebrews is telling us is this, you will be tempted to build your identity on something other than God. And when that is threatened or challenged because your heart is deceitful, you will justify yourself. And so you need to have people in your life who you give permission to speak into your life, to support you, to correct you, to encourage you, to comfort you. That may mean challenging each other, but it doesn't only mean being confrontational. Um, I heard an illustration, a story about uh, back in like kind of the colonial um, Puritan New England days, there was a church that disciplined a member of their church because he was charging 5% interest. And the church had collectively decided that 3% interest was enough, and this guy was charging 5%, and so he was being greedy. Okay, now... Don't miss the point. I have no opinion on what the correct amount of interest to charge is. But do you understand what they're doing? They're saying, we can't tr- I cannot trust myself to decide uh, for myself how much is too much. Like, has anybody ever said, you know, I think I'm being a little bit too greedy? That's never, like, we, we can see it in other people, but have I ever done a greedy thing in my life? Like, not that I can think of. And so as a church, we have to give each other permission to speak into our lives because we cannot trust ourselves to decide how much is enough or too much because I'll never decide that I'm being too greedy. What Hebrews is telling us is that the Christian life is too difficult and sin is too deceptive to think that I can finish this journey on my own. And so I need you. And you need me and we need each other if we're gonna make it. We need each other to speak into our lives. Uh, let, me, let me maybe put it like this. Who gets, to, um, who gets to speak into your life? Like who gets to look at you and say, you know, I don't think another drink is actually what you need right now. Or who gets to look at you and say, you know, I think you're putting in too many hours at work. I mean, is that a question that you are the only one that gets to answer that? I, I didn't say that very well, but you understand what I mean. Are you the only one that gets to decide, decide if you're working too much, or uh, do you need some help? Or, I mean, another example, do you have anyone that can look at you and say, uh, you seem to be shopping a lot, or it seems like you're investing a little bit too much in um, college football. Who gets to decide? Or are you the only one that gets to decide? You need somebody, I need somebody who has the permission to speak into my life, your life. To say, you know, maybe that's too much. Maybe that's too much. Exhort one another. Notice two things um, that, that he says here. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Okay, first thing, who is the one doing the exhorting? It's, it's all of us, right? Um, how often do we do the exhorting? Every day. If you wake up and the day is called today, that's the day that you need to be encouraged and challenged. And if you ever wake up on a day and it's not today anymore, then feel free to, you know, let that one go. But if it's called today, 
You need to be encouraged. You need to encourage others. What I want you to hear is this, that the normal Christian life uh, involves the church gathering together and scattering. Um, it is a normal and essential part of the Christian life that we gather as a church every Sunday for worship. But I want to be clear that it, obviously it is my job to stand up and explain the Bible and teach and preach. And that is good and that, that is essential for you to be a part of a, a, a church that gathers for worship regularly. But it is not my sole job to be the exhorter in this church. That is all of our jobs. Um, the church gathers and then the church scatters to go about our daily lives. But we do that as Christians. We do that as people who are connected to each other. We do that as community um, informally. We need each other. It is all of our jobs. It's not simply my job. We need you. I need you. You need me. Um, I mean, this is just a real practical example, but... Like, you need to take this passage and go back and, like, I've said so much stuff today. You need to actually talk about this and how it applies and unpack it in your lives. Um, we need to do this together. I need you to encourage me. This week, uh, Jeff Barney took me out for coffee, and uh, he didn't know that he was going to get a mention, but, you know, that's what happens if you take the pastor out for coffee. <laughs> And uh, took me out for coffee this week. I don't know if Jeff had planned this, but he kind of was asking me some great questions, pointed questions about how are you doing and, and giving me his input on this is what we need to do to kind of recapture momentum as a church. And I needed to hear that. And afterwards I said, thanks. And actually Jeff texted me back. He's like, sorry for being so direct. Like, no, man, like come at me. I need it. <laughs> I need it. I need you, you need me. We need each other. We need each other because life is too hard. The journey is too long. And we will not make it on our own. Um, we need each other because our hearts are deceptive. We need each other because it's in community that we work this stuff out. We need each other because without other people speaking into my life, that, that, that phrase, consider Jesus, it's just words. Right? We need people to come alongside us and say, to help us actually do that. It's as we encourage and exhort each other, it's as we challenge and support one another that the hard work of putting our identity in Christ is actually done. So let me finish with this. In um, Toy Story, you know the Toy Story movies, um, there's this scene where Buzz Lightyear is depressed because after... Ages and ages of, of, of saying that he is a real space ranger, Buzz Lightyear has finally come to terms with the reality that he is just a toy. And Woody has been caught in this cage and he's stuck and Buzz is having like an existential crisis <laughs> and he's not going to help get Woody out of the cage because he's just a toy. And he kind of sits down in his depression and as he sits down, he sees a name on the bottom of his boot, and it says Andy. And realizing that he belongs to Andy, kind of
kind of emboldens him and it re-energizes him as he remembers who he is and that he is not just a toy, but he is Andy's toy. And he gets up and he frees Woody. And that is the gospel. That is the gospel. Do you know who you are? It's only as we find our identity, not in what we have done, but in who or in whose we are that we will be emboldened to actually live this stuff out. It's only as we put our trust in Christ and discover that we belong to him, that our identity is in him, that we will have the courage to have these kind of um, you know, moments of self-reflection, to review ourselves. And it's only as we find our identity in him that we will have the vulnerability to exhort one another. This is the velvet hand grenade of Hebrews 3. Let's pray together. Jesus, would you um, help us? Help us to uh, be reminded of whose name has been written up upon our hearts. For those of us who um, are Christians, that you have put your name on us in our baptisms. You have put the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, on us. Would you help us to remember whose we are, that we might um, have the courage uh, to be honest about what's really going on in our hearts. That uh, we are deceptive, we would prefer to deceive ourselves. Would you help us to be honest about that? Would you help us to encourage, exhort, challenge one another, to be open to receiving it from one another? Jesus, we need you. We pray in your name.